Well, good morning, New Life Church, and welcome to your online church service. We are so thankful that we still have this way of staying connected together, uh, that we can know that uh, as we are worshiping uh, at our regular time, 9 a.m. or 10.45 a.m., that uh, you know our fellow brothers and sisters at New Life are doing the same. Uh, one of the ways that you can stay connected with us during this time is just by sending in a picture of yourself, you and your gathering, uh, taking in the service together, worshiping together. Uh, you can send that to the church or text it to one of us. And uh, there's a transitional moment uh, when we're going to have you know each of those pictures posted. Uh, just a small way for us to get to see each other's faces and, and continue to stay connected. Another way that you can stay connected with us is by continuing to send in uh, your questions for this series, this sermon series, Burning Questions. Uh, we've gotten a number of questions already which are fabulous. Some of them we've simply answered straight by email. Uh, some of them we're, we're conglomerating into, you know, individual sermons that will kind of, you know, touch on the theme of multiple questions. Uh, but we still need more questions. We want to hear from, uh, from, you know, so many more of you. And uh, kids, if you have questions, we want you to send those questions into us. Sometimes I find that uh, the most profound, deepest, uh, best questions are asked by uh, younger Christians. And so kids, please send in uh, your questions or have your parents send them in for us. And um, I also wanted to, uh, to highlight the idea of, uh, of our prayer guide, which has been going out each week. Uh, if you're not getting that, or if you're not getting Pastor Rusty's email updates, uh, then please go to our website, newlifestonewall.com, and uh, just click the appropriate buttons there to sign up uh, to be notified for those things. It's, it's just one more way uh, for you to stay connected and uh, nourished and updated uh, during this time. In the book of Mark, there's this, uh, this moment when Jesus goes and he sits down in the temple. It says that he sits down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. It says, many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I find that such an interesting, such a haunting passage, actually, to think that the Son of God, you know, would sort of just be sitting off to the side, watching people come in, file through, and put their offerings in. First the wealthy, you know, putting their extravagant offerings in, and then along comes this, you know, sort of unnoticeable figure, this little old woman, and she puts in her coins that don't even make up a penny, and she says that she, that Jesus says that she gave more than anyone because she gave out of her poverty. And uh, we're going to have an offering moment, uh, you know, just in a second here. And I uh, just invite you to continue to do that wherever you are uh, in your financial picture, to continue to give uh, out of your poverty. But not just financially, like emotionally and spiritually. Uh, a lot of us during this time have, uh, you know, have felt a, a, the, the emotional cost of it all, um, you know, feeling stretched in ourselves. 
And uh, this is a time when, when we get to worship God, maybe not out of a sense of abundance and, and emotional overflow, but out of our poverty. And how much more will God be blessed by that uh, as we seek to give to him? So if you, uh, you want to just uh, give financially, then this is a moment where you can hit pause uh, and then uh, we'll say a prayer over our offering and the rest of our worship. Okay, well, let's bow our heads and ask for God's blessing on the rest of our service. So, Father, we thank you that uh, you love us, that you made us, that you created us, that each of us has uh, the extravagant opportunity even to exist and to breathe. And then to be able to know relationship with you, to be redeemed by your Son, our Lord Jesus, to have your Spirit dwelling in us, in such a way that nothing can separate us from you, nothing really can separate us from each other because of your Holy Spirit. Father, these are gifts that you give to us and uh, we want to take advantage of them. And so we pray that uh, as we worship you, uh, as we worship you with our, with our financial giving, as we worship you by giving from our hearts, Lord, that uh, as we give out of our poverty, that you would be blessed by it and that in turn you would bless us in it. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. morning New Life Church. Welcome here this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. It's so great to see uh, photos of uh, our New Life family um, uh, doing church together. Um, why don't you, uh, you join us and we can sing a, a few songs together.
Would you bow with me? Lord, I want to thank you for this, this time we get to spend together and worship with one another, worship you. Uh, we're so grateful for this opportunity. Lord, as we now, uh, now we get to hear what, what you've laid on Rusty's heart for this morning and answer some burning questions. Um, thank you for Rusty. Thank you for speaking to him and that he may uh, encourage us all and, uh, with a message of your grace. May we be able to receive it. In your precious name, we ask these things with thanksgiving. Good morning, New Life Church. I'm happy that you're joining us this morning on this beautiful Sunday. If you are joining us for the very first time as a visitor online, so glad you found us. Uh, if you were to visit us here in this building on a Sunday morning, we would give you a gift to thank you for being with us. We'd still love to do that. Uh, so if you're here for the first time, after the service, why don't you find our email contact on the website, send us an email, let us know you joined us. Uh, who you are, and we'd love to send you a gift to thank you for joining with us this morning. You know, I'm kind of getting tired of speaking to an empty room. I don't know if you're getting tired about uh, doing church in your pajamas, on your couch, in your living room. I kind of hope you are. I hope you're not too comfortable with church this way because uh, I'm eager to get back together. We don't know when that's going to happen, church, but here's one thing I do know that God doesn't do social distancing. Wherever you are right now, God is with you. Isn't that awesome? God is with you, and this morning, as we go to his word, the other thing I know is that God wants to speak to you. God has something good to give you. And so I hope that we can just have hearts and minds to receive that, and if you want to pause if you don't already have your Bible and your notebook and, and maybe uh, your bread and drink for communion, which we're going to take together at the end of the message, you might want to hit pause and just go gather uh, those materials. And why don't we just take a moment before we go into the message and just open ourselves up to him and invite him to come and speak into our lives, okay? Let's just take a moment, each of us where you're at, and, and pray and ask God to speak and say, God, I'm listening. Let's do that. Amen. All right, well, this morning we're in week two of a series that we're calling Burning Questions, where we are addressing your questions, the questions that you have about God, the Bible, the Christian faith, the Christian life. We've gotten awesome questions. Keep them coming, uh, because I fully anticipate that we will be addressing questions that we haven't already received. You know, some of these questions, they come from a place of curiosity. Maybe there's just something that uh, we're wondering about. We, we just don't really understand. And then there's some of these questions, you can tell they're coming from a deeply personal place. They're coming from experience, maybe, maybe from some trouble within a person. Um, these are questions that have great bearing on how we think and feel and act. And I feel like today is one of those questions uh, because three different people asked this same question, which makes me think that there's got to be many more 
people uh, who have this question weighing on them here this morning. So I think this is an important message uh, for many of us. You know, there's a lot of different things that weigh on us. There's a lot of different things that we worry about. Like, what is worry? Worry is, worry comes from uncertainty. What we don't know. Which is why, uh, if you've ever had a young child, the very first thing that a kid is afraid of really is the dark. Because the dark represents that which we don't know. The dark represents uncertainty. We're worried about those things we don't know. And, And our worries can be really diverse, can't they? Will the Winnipeg Jets make the playoffs? Will they even play again? Some of us are worried about that. Will I be able to go on that trip I've been planning this summer? Will I pass my final exam? Will I lose my job? Some of you are worried about that right now. Will my spouse leave me? Will this cancer kill me? Will I go to heaven when I die? And we've got all sorts of questions. I wonder right now, kind of what are those worries that are on your heart? I think there's a hierarchy of worries, really. There's some things we worry about that we probably don't need to be worried about. And then there's some things that we're maybe not concerned about that we ought to be. Solomon talked about this in a little book of the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes, chapter seven, verse two. He says, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of us all and the living should take that to heart. So essentially he's saying, it's better to go to a funeral than to a wedding. Why? Because we're all gonna die someday. That's the destiny for all of us. I mean, I don't wanna be a downer here this morning or go to a dark place, but likely for one or more of you that are watching right now, we're gonna be doing your funeral in here at some point in the next year. We're all gonna die and some of us might even die sooner than we could have ever imagined. So this is something we all have to face and Solomon says, it's better to think about that, concern ourselves with our eternal destiny while we are living. That might be the most appropriate question. Will I go to heaven when I die? Where do I stand with God? In the book of Hebrews, it says it's appointed once for man to die and then to face judgment. Paul says in Romans, each of us must give an account to God. In other words, a time is coming when we die, when we will stand before God and we will have to give an account. We will be judged. Will we be acceptable to him? Will we find favor and fellowship with God or not? I think that's the biggest question. And and how would you answer that question? Some of you might say, I I hope so. Others might say, I think so. Others might say, I don't know. And and maybe some of you would say, I know so. I wonder how you might answer that question. You know, in the gospel of Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out his disciples to do his ministry, to preach the good news, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. Uh, The disciples return to him and they kind of report back on all the incredible things God did through them. And then Jesus says something very interesting to his disciples. They're just kind of on cloud nine about all the things that they had seen happen by the power of God at work in them. And Jesus says this in verse 20 of Luke 10. He says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Jesus is saying, if there's one thing that should cause you to rejoice right now, It's not these other wonderful things. It's the reality that your names are written in heaven. 
In other words, Jesus is saying the greatest miracle is the miracle of salvation, that our sins could be forgiven, that we might be reconciled with God and that we might have eternal fellowship, eternal life with him. I mean, that's what that means, that our names are written in heaven. At other points in the scriptures, it talks about this book, the book of life that God has uh, up there. And I'm not sure if that's kind of figurative or if he actually has a book with names, but at a number of points, it talks about this book that has the names of everybody uh, who are redeemed, okay? All the citizens of heaven are, are, their names are recorded in this book of life, kind of like this. And so the question that I have as I read that, uh, that statement of Jesus is this. D- does God write a person's name in that book with permanent marker? Like once it goes in there, does it stay in there forever? Or does God write uh, a name in there kind of in pencil? You know, just in case something happens and he's got that big eraser beside that book and he can erase that name out of there. How does that work? Essentially, the question that we're going to be looking at this morning is that question. We can kind of put it this way. Can I lose my salvation? Is it possible to be a Christian, to have the forgiveness of sins, to be redeemed, to be reconciled with God, to have the gift of eternal life and and then to lose that? To be in And then to be out. Is that a possibility? Is that something that I should be worried about? Can I lose my salvation? So I know for many of you, this is a very uh, deeply personal question that weighs on your minds. And it's an excellent question. And I think the Bible gives us direction. But what we're going to see is that the answer to that question really depends on what we mean when we ask the question. The answer, the Bible's answer is, is, is both troubling and comforting. Uh, Someone has said that the role of the preacher is to trouble the comfortable and comfort the troubled. And I know I do a lot of troubling. I don't know how much comforting I normally do, but I think that's what God's word does too. God's word troubles the comfortable and it comforts the troubled. And I think it's gonna do both of those things here for us this morning. But this is what I want us to see, okay? These two things. First of all, that you can't lose what you don't have which seems kind of obvious. You can't lose what you don't have. And secondly, you can't lose what you don't hold. You can't lose what you don't hold. So we're going to look at those two statements, what I mean by that. So first of all, you can't lose what you don't have. So what does it mean to have salvation? What is salvation? Well, the Bible talks about our need to be saved. Uh, Paul says in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of God's glory, and then he goes on to say, and the wages of our sin is death. The penalty of the judgment on all of our sin is uh, eternal physical spiritual death, separation from God. But the good news of the gospel is that through Jesus Christ, we can be saved. Now, Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2, verses 8 uh, and 9, when he says this. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In other words, uh, we, we, we are not saved. We are not made right with God. We do not go to heaven because we do enough good things, because of our good deeds. No, we are saved from our sin. We are given eternal life. 
when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done, his work on our behalf in his life and his death and in his resurrection, when we put our faith in what he has done for us, we are saved by God's grace through faith. Jesus says the very same thing over and over again. We see in Luke chapter, sorry, John chapter 6, 28 and 29, the crowds come to Jesus and they say, what must we do to do the works that God requires? What is it God requires of us? Jesus says this, the, the work that God requires is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it. To believe, which is the same as to, to put faith, to put faith in the one he has sent, in Jesus himself. Now, we almost always speak of salvation in the past tense, right? It's something that has happened. Like Paul said, you have been saved. Past tense, kind of finished. But yet, the Bible talks about salvation not just in past tense, but also present tense and even future tense. So you see this in the words of Jesus, uh, Mark 13, 13, when he says, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Future tense. And so the, the Bible really describes salvation as something that is past, present, and future. So if you have a pad of paper, maybe you want to write the word salvation uh, there across the top. And then underneath that on the left side, just put a big dot and then a line across the page from that dot, and then a big H on the other side of the page at the end of that line. That represents salvation. You know, what the Bible teaches is that salvation is a point that happens in time. So it's past tense. It is a process. It is happening. And then it is a payoff. It is something that is completed in the future. So salvation is point it's a process and it's a payoff it's past present and future so listen to these verses here now some of you have been troubled by these verses and you haven't really known what to do with these Uh, and as we look through these three passages just see if you can kind of pick up on the common word the first one here is colossians 1 21 to 23 where paul says this Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. He continues, but now he has reconciled you. That is to say he has saved you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So he says, you are saved, you have been saved if you continue in your faith. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. By this gospel, not you will be saved, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word. And lastly, the words of Jesus, John 8, 31. It says to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Notice he doesn't say, if you hold to my teaching, you will be my disciples. But if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. 
Okay, did you pick up on like a common word in those three passages? It's the word if. You are saved if. Now, what do we do with that? I've done a whole bunch of weddings I've conducted. And when I'm working with a couple preparing for their wedding, we go over their vows. And one thing I always say to them is notice, guys, that you will not find the word if in your wedding vows. It's just an unconditional gift of yourself to the other. In your vows, there are no ifs, ands, or buts. I will do this for you if you do this for me. It's an unconditional vow. And here, though, we find this word coming up over and over. We are saved if something is true about us in the future. If we continue in our faith. It almost makes you think that our salvation is conditional on the future. On what happens in the future. And here's a truth that I think is really important that we need to see. And this is the truth. Persevering in faith is the indication of salvation. Persevering in our faith in Jesus Christ is the indication of our salvation. And we really need to hear that because many people have taught, have heard, have believed that if you just say a certain prayer, a certain combination of words, at some point in your life, you go to heaven no matter what happens after that prayer. You know, there's some people, they, they look back to that prayer they prayed in Sunday school, at VBS, at Bible camp, at some other point, and, and, and they go, I'm going to heaven because I prayed this prayer. Well, is that true? Is that true? Well, I want to suggest to you that the Bible never says that that's true. In fact, you have Jesus saying this in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, not everyone, Jesus says, who says certain words to me or about me actually belongs in heaven. In other words, it's not a matter of the words we say, Jesus says. There are no magic words that if we say them, guarantee entry into the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to say in verse 22, but many will say uh, to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He says, well, he doesn't say, guys, I knew you, and then something happened, and you changed. I just don't even know who you are anymore. He doesn't say that. He says, I never actually knew you. In other words, professing salvation is different than possessing salvation. So if by eternal security, if by asking the question, can I lose my salvation, you mean, um, if, if I pray a prayer to ask God to forgive my sins, am I secure? Will I go to heaven no matter what I do after that? And if that's your question, then the answer to that is no. No. It is not true that a person is secure no matter what they do. And, and I, th I think it's so important that we know that because I believe there are some people out there that have treated 
kind of their prayer at some point in the past, like a bit of a, a spiritual life or uh, life insurance, fire insurance policy, right? They prayed a prayer. God gave them salvation. They put it in their wallet. They put it in their back pocket and, and they've got like this insurance policy and they go through life and they kind of do their thing and they know that it's there and they know someday it's going to come and they're going to die and they're going to stand for God and then they're going to pull it out of their back pocket and say, here, I prayed this prayer and the Bible says, no, it doesn't work that way. If you think that you can pray a prayer and maybe even get dunked and go to church occasionally and just live any way you like, it's a sure sign, Jesus says, it's a sure sign, the Bible says, that you have never experienced the transforming, life-changing grace of Jesus Christ. Okay, because persevering in faith is the indication of salvation. In other words, if your faith has never changed you, your faith has never saved you. That's what the Bible makes clear. If your faith has never changed you, your faith has never saved you. I, I remember years ago in another place, uh, I had a friend who uh, had been following Jesus and I think he'd, you know, he'd volunteered in a, a youth group as a, as a worker and counseled at Bible camp and he just started to kind of detour. He uh, started in, in his life walking away from God and he had found himself in, in this uh, relationship that wasn't right. And he was just kind of persisting in this direction. And I was really concerned for him. And so uh, I, I invited him out to go golfing. And uh, I can't remember what tee box it was on, but I still remember sitting on the tee box. And I'd never, ever said this to anybody before. But as he was sizing up his shot, I said to him, I said, friend, I'm worried for you. I'm worried that if you persist in this direction, that you might go to hell. I just remember even how shocking it was coming out of my lips and how shocking it was for it to go into his ears. And he stood there kind of in stunned silence for a while. And, and we talked more about it and why I, I felt that way, that if he kept going in this direction, he might not find himself in fellowship with God. And I mean, all glory to God's grace. That, that guy, he's pastoring a church in BC right now. Um, you know, so I kind of feel like we all take detours. Some of us, we take big detours out of our faith. Maybe, maybe we fall in, into sin and, and, and we, need, we need some of these warnings at times to kind of bring us back into right relationship with God, following God, doing his will in our lives. Um, so what I'm not saying is if we stumble and fall and we take some of these detours that somehow we've lost of our, our salvation, that we're back at square one, but, but what the Bible does make clear is that if your faith has not changed you, is not changing you, it hasn't saved you. Persevering in faith is the indication of salvation. So I always have hard conversations on the golf course. So guys, if I invite you to go out golfing, don't get too excited, okay? It probably means there's a hard conversation I want to have with you because I find that it's best to have those on the golf course. Um, and so I suppose after revealing this, I probably won't get too many invitations uh, to go golfing either. Or if I get an invitation from you to go golfing, may maybe I should be concerned. But this is what I want us to see. True faith brings lasting fruit. True faith brings lasting 
fruit. Jesus tells a parable, we find it in Matthew chapter 13, called the parable of the sower, which says this, a farmer went out to sow his seed. This is Matthew 13, three. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly uh, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So there's this parable that a few verses later Jesus kind of unpacks what he means by that. Um, He says that the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and at once receives it with joy, but they have no root so it only lasts a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the, of, of the word, they, they quickly fall away. It has no root. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. It bears no fruit. It dies. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So what Jesus is saying is that when that seed goes into good soil, the person that receives that was with was saving faith, the evidence of that is fruitfulness. And the, and the evidence of, of, of the absence of that is a, is a lack of fruit, no fruit. But Jesus says, true faith, salvation will bring lasting fruit in our lives. Now, I'm really glad that Jesus kind of gave us a spectrum of how fruitful this might look. He says, you know, some it's going to be 100 times as much, some it's going to be 60, some 30. I kind of wonder, I I don't know if Jesus is just pulling numbers out of a hat. What is he doing when he just kind of shows that there's going to be a degree of fruitfulness? Uh, I, I think what he's saying to us is, hey, none of us are going to be perfect, right? S- some of us are, are going to be more fruitful in our lives, and, and some aren't going to be as fruitful as others in our life. But none of us are perfect, right? S- sometimes the, the, the fruit that we produce just seems a kind, kind of ill-formed, maybe like, I don't know, even know what that is. Maybe that's a tomato. Maybe you kind of feel like the fruit of your life um, resembles that. You can go to a superstore and buy a bag of imperfect produce. You know, if you want to save a few bucks, the imperfect apples or the imperfect peppers, they just don't quite look as good as the others. Maybe we feel like our, the fruit in our life is, is ill-formed, Maybe we feel or wonder that we're not fruitful enough. We see others that, that produce more fruit, the fruit of godliness in their, in their life than we do. And we kind of wonder, what does that mean for me? That I still struggle in these ways, that I fall short in these ways. And I think what Jesus is saying, guys, is don't worry, okay? You will produce fruit, but but that's not always going to look the same. Sometimes there's going to be more fruit and sometimes there's going to be less fruit. I mean, we'd all like to be like this pear tree, right? Like producing fruit in whatever we do, in all of our 
thinking and acting. But sometimes in our life, you know, we're just not as fruitful. Maybe this represents the way that we feel now or at times. What Jesus wants us, I think, to hear is that true faith brings fruit, lasting fruit. But sometimes there's more fruit and sometimes there's not as much fruit. So just because we don't have as much fruit as we could or think we ought, it doesn't mean that we're not saved. I think that's what Jesus is doing. He's maybe trying to calm some of our anxieties. And we even see this further in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse one and two. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So do you see the two different types of of branches? One he cuts off and one he prunes. What is the, the branch that he cuts off? It, it's, it's the dead branch. It's the branch that bears no fruit. There is no evidence of the desire in a person's life to, to, for the will of God, to do the will of God. There's no evidence that the motive is love of God, that we do what we do for the glory of God, that we are striving for righteousness. There is no evidence of that at all. That branch is dead. It is without any fruit. And Jesus says that branch is cut off. But, but the branch that does bear some fruit, Jesus prunes it. God prunes it. He trims it so that it will become more fruitful. He doesn't cut off any branch that bears fruit. He simply prunes it so that it might bear more fruit in the future. True faith brings lasting fruit. Because you know that sometimes we, we will be m- more fruitful than at other times in our lives, and I don't think that should cause us to worry. True faith brings lasting fruit. So persevering in truth is the indication of salvation. That's, I think, what I want us to clearly see, the first thing, and we're gonna look at the second statement here in a moment, because the question that we might ask ourselves then is, well, that's great, but how do I know that when I wake up tomorrow, I'm still gonna be a Christian? So man, like I'm, I'm following Jesus now, I believe, I'm striving for righteousness, but how do I know that when I wake up tomorrow and, and next year and the year after that, that, that I'm gonna continue to bear fruit, that I'm gonna continue to have faith, that I will persevere? Like how can I have that confidence today about something that happens tomorrow or beyond? And so here's the second statement I, I, I wanna unpack. So we said you can't lose what you don't have But it's also true that you can't lose what you don't hold. You can't lose what you don't hold. So persevering in faith is the indication of salvation. But God ensures that all who have faith in Jesus will endure in it. This This is the comfort that we have in the scriptures, in the gospel, that God ensures that all who have faith in Jesus will persevere in that faith. So perseverance is necessary, but God gives the perseverance to all who are saved, all who are redeemed. And I just want to show you this by running through a few scriptures, and there's so many more that we could look at, but just to give you a sense of what this looks like in the scriptures so that we can have some confidence about this. So I'm going to run through these pretty quick. Nathan is going to just keep them up on the screen. So the first one here is Philippians 1 verse 6. 
Paul says, he that is God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So the work that God has begun, he will bring to completion. So God doesn't begin it and then not complete it. Romans 8, 30, 28 to 30, actually. Paul says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, so in other words, becoming godly, fruitful, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And listen to this. And those God predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So you're justified when you repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's when you are forgiven of your sin. And, and, and what Paul is saying is that if you are justified, you will be glorified. There is nobody that is justified that God doesn't bring to glory. In other words, that line, there is no one who begins at that point that doesn't go through that line and reach the payoff at the end. All whom he justifies, he will glorify. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Who is it that does it? Who is it that ensures that we will be kept blameless, that we will continue until the end? God. He is faithful and he will do it. John 6, 35 to 40. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away for I have come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Now listen to this, that I shall lose none of all those that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. Okay, so, so how many that, who come to him shall Jesus lose? How many who are, are saved will be unsaved? None, he says. He will lose none who come to him. He goes on to say a few chapters later in John 10, verse 27 to 30. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. And you also, or sorry, let's back up. Okay. So Jesus is saying here in, Luke, or in, in John 10 that we are in his hands and we are in the father's hands. God holds us. In other words, we're not holding on to God. God is holding on to me. 
So if we think of ourselves as a child holding a parent's hand, we are children of God, our hand is in his, and, and I imagine maybe sometimes a child can think they're clinging on to their parent's hand and afraid like what might happen if they let go. But of course we know it's not the child holding on to the father's hand, it's really the father holding on to the child's hand. And what Jesus is saying is that he and the father hold us in their hands. We're not holding on to God. God is holding on to those who have put their faith in Jesus. Lastly, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Paul says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I just love this passage. You were included in Christ when you put your faith in him, Paul says. And when you did that, God gave you his Holy Spirit to dwell within you. You were born again. God's spirit within you. And what is that spirit? He says that spirit is a deposit from God that is guaranteeing. I love that word. He is guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption, until the end, okay? In other words, if God gives you his spirit, he will keep you to the end. That's a deposit that guarantees your salvation, What a beautiful verse. This spirit is a spirit of adoption to sonship. God adopts us, and if God adopts us, he never unadopts us. God, in other words, is not our possession. We are God's possession, okay? God is not our possession. We are his possession. We don't hold on to God. Do we cling to him? Yes. But we do not hold on to God as if we could let him go, God holds on to us. We are his possession. So I think the question maybe shouldn't be, can I lose my salvation? Maybe the question is, can God lose the saved? All those who have come and put true faith in Jesus Christ, Can God lose the saved? And the answer, I think, that we get in the scriptures is no. No, God cannot, God will not lose the saved. You cannot be in and then out. Your name cannot be written in that book and then erased from that book. If we are saved at the beginning, we will be saved at the end. Where there is a point of salvation, there will be a process. And if there is a point and a process, there will be a payoff. There will never be a point where there is not a process and a payoff. None without the other. Never without the other. This is good news. You don't lose what you don't have. And you can't lose what you don't hold. So just kind of bringing this to an end here. uh, Maybe just a few thoughts, a few questions for you. And and maybe we just need to get honest for a a moment. I wonder if there's, there's some of you out there right now who are watching 
that maybe have been banking on a prayer that you prayed at one point. Back in Sunday school with your parents at Bible camp, you prayed a prayer and you're relying on that prayer for your security. In, in, instead of the faith that you are living today. Maybe there's some of you listening, you might realize this morning that you're giving lip service to God, but, you, but you've not been giving life service to God. And, and maybe, maybe what you need to realize this morning is praying a certain prayer in and of itself doesn't save a person. True saving faith brings lasting fruit. So I just wonder if we're to get honest, real here for a moment, you know, if, if, if some of you out there might need to um, repent and turn your life over to Jesus Christ and be saved for the first time, for the first time, Maybe you need to pray a prayer like this. And again, like I said earlier, it's not praying a prayer that saves a person. These aren't magic words. It's not an incantation. It's not a spell. This isn't magic. That's not how this works. But, but if in our hearts we are grieved by our sin, we recognize our needs for God, God's mercy, we believe in what Jesus has done for us, and we want to live the life that he wants us to live if we repent of our sins and confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we will be saved. And so maybe you just want to read this prayer. If you, if you want to pause right now and think about this, maybe there's some of you that you need to pray this prayer either for the first time or again for real. If you need to pause to think about that, do that. You can't lose what you don't have and you can't lose what you don't hold. So a few minutes ago, we read the words of Jesus in John 6 when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty. And here, uh, just in a minute, we're gonna take communion together. We're gonna eat and we're gonna drink and we're, we're really gonna kind of enact what Jesus says there that he is the perfect satisfier of our soul. He can bring rest to our mind. He can bring rest to our spirits. Okay, we can rest in our souls. We don't have to worry about where we stand with God. Will I go to heaven when I die? Jesus, I hope so. We don't have to worry. We can find rest in our souls, in our minds. We can know that we are in good hands because we are in God's hands. And so we can have this peace and we celebrate that peace here in a moment when we take communion. So that's one thing we mean when we say you can't lose what you don't hold. But, but maybe what this also means is not just that we can find rest in that security, but, but that maybe we need to be more diligent in our lives. We need to do, there's more work to be done. Paul says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is working in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Work out your salvation, put it to work for it is God who is working in you to bring about that work. God is working, but he says we too have a part to play. 
we too need to be working. We need to be diligent, working to bear fruit in our lives for God. So maybe this pandemic we're in, this really strange time, maybe this has kind of revealed uh, in us some things, kind of brought some things to to light that we need to be working on. Maybe it's kind of revealed in our lives some idols that we have, some things that we've been finding kind of security in or joy or peace in more than we've been finding in Jesus Christ. Um, I, I wonder if this time is just kind of revealed to us ways in which we might be weak and we need to be more fruitful. We need to work to bear fruit. I want us to think about that as we come to communion because as we do this, it's a way of saying we can rest in God but then we're going to work to be fruitful. So if you haven't already found uh, something to take communion with, some bread, some drink, you can pause and go get that and then come back and continue. Um, Before we take the bread together, uh, I just want to invite you to just, where you're at there, take a a moment to talk with God and maybe just thank him that, that his son Jesus has done all the work that's necessary for us to be saved. He's done it all for us, just to be received by faith. What good news. Just take a moment and thank God for that great gift. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread with his disciples and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. Remember me whenever you eat it together. Let's remember together. Before we take the cup, I just want to give you a moment to, to talk to God again and just to say, God, God, just help me uh, just to uh, bear, bear more fruit for you in my life. And maybe there's some area in your life that, that God has brought to your mind, uh, an area maybe where you're lacking some fruit or you're weak, and, and you maybe just want to ask God for help in that area. Let's just take a moment and just ask God to, to enable us to be more fruitful for him. Let's pray. Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup represents my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember me whenever you drink it together. Let's remember. Amen. Well, uh, the worship team is going to close with a song here just in a moment. We're going to sing about God's amazing grace before we continue into the rest of our week. We're just at the very beginning of this new week. We, we've, we've kind of been to church, but it's time to be the church the rest of this week. So man, I, I just, I hope that as we go from here, let's just commit ourselves to God and say, God, use us. 
wherever you bring us this week to shine your light, to show your love to those around me, to be a blessing to those around me. Church, let's just be a blessing to God and to others this week. And as we strive to be a blessing, as we strive to be the church, God is going to bless us in return. I believe that. So let's be a blessing this week and let's be blessed by God this week. Uh, Before we sing, why don't we uh, read this together? You can join me in the all caps. We are the church. So wherever you go, Christ goes. If someone asks, what is your church like? Let's tell them, I am what my church is like. If someone asks, what does your church do? Let's tell them, I am doing what my church does. We are the church. And we may be the only contact that someone has with Jesus this week. So though they may not yet belong to the church, we can bring the church to them. Well, thank you, Rusty, for... uh sharing what the Lord has laid on your heart. Why don't we uh, as a church join together and, and sing one last song? So much stronger, the King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is
so much for joining us, church. We hope you have a blessed week, and we'll see you next week.